Parents have told me it's too late. My kids are addicted to screens, and it's not going to be pretty if I have to take away their devices or the internet. <laughs> This is exactly why requiring kids to do homework, hygiene, and household chores—the three H's before you earn screen time—it doesn't work for the long term. I'll give you more on that later. Now, I can totally appreciate <laughs>、um, and understand why Google Trends shows a big spike in screen time tools and searches for like screen time,、um, like charts, for example, every January or February.、Uh, why was it so hard for our children to focus on school after two weeks of watching? Movies and playing with their presence.、Uh, oh, Alice is here! Exciting, exciting!、Uh, thank you for joining me again today. Despite how overwhelming this felt, you found a way to, through this first month. So, congratulations! Welcome to AI Parenting Live. We help families transform screen time into quality time in a world of artificial intelligence.、Uh, I'm your host. Dr. Ed, as an ADHD parent of two young boys, one with ADHD, I can appreciate how exhausting it is to finish a hard day of work only to be the cook, the cleaner, and the live entertainment for your children. So, I gotta get something straight right off the bat. I use screens for sedation too, so. Guilty, guilty as charged, and we are not here to judge. All right. So our purpose today is to help you understand why, why have screens become so addictive, and to understand who、uh, compensates for the limitations of AI moderation today. And finally, we'll also discuss visualizing the quality. Of the screen time that we have today, we are talking about how screens are used for sedation, and this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart because I use it all the time. I know so many feel、uh, guilty around this, and I wanted to provide some some clear understandings of what's kind of going on behind the scenes here,、um, not just for watching, say, videos or doing social media, but actually today. I was hoping that we can dive a little bit deeper into video games、uh, because video games is another area that's quite interesting and it's related to this type of sedation,、uh, which seems kind of weird because you would think video games. I mean, we're interacting, right? Like it's got to be at least relation. We're playing with other people. Why would you call it sedation? And I think、uh, you'll learn a little bit about this here. But I think my key message with、uh, Video games is that they're actually designed、uh, to sedate certain types of unconscious desires that we have, things that we we want to see,、uh, such as progress. You're going to see more on that、uh, shortly. I'm pretty excited about this. So let's dive straight in to the first topic. So I'm going to talk to you about these two different concepts. So they're they're not the same. So one is this illusion of progress that you see in a lot of casual games. 
Now, I'm not necessarily talking about the hardcore games like your World of Warcraft or your your other types of games where there is like a long ladder. Uh, no, I'm I'm talking more about casual gaming, which seems to be the dominant form of gaming today. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the multiplayer aspect and how that re reaches into the the deeper need for a type of aggression. Um, but it's meeting a need, an, an aggressive type of need. And so that those are the two two things that we're going to cover. Okay, first, let's talk about our unconscious desires um, for aggression and this illusion of progress. Now, my question for you is, did you ever play video games when you were a kid? Yes? When I was young, the games that we played were crazy hard. Um, it would be hard to like walk a few steps in the palaces and dungeons of the Prince of Persia without getting dismembered by an enemy, a guillotine, or some spikes way down below. And even Pong and Asteroids, they presented this massive challenge, yes, <laughs> to my developing hand-eye coordination, right? Like, it, even when I was young, like, playing Pong was not easy just because I didn't have that level of hand-eye coordination. So they were a challenge. Uh, this challenge made games fun, but it also, at the same time, caused many to give up and decide that, you know what, gaming's just not for me, I can't do it, it's too hard. And this all changed with mobile gaming. So mobile gaming is really the, the focus here. I'm not going to go that much into the history, although I, I love the history of video games. Ahoy is like one of my favorite channels on YouTube. But I want to dive a little bit into mobile games, because I think they, they have such a huge impact. Um, okay, so, sure, there were mobile games like Tetris and Snake on even the old Nokia phones. Um, but let's focus on the rise of the casual mobile gamer uh, starting around 2008 with the launch of the Apple App Store for the iPhone. So this is important because now we're talking about mostly non-gamers who are now spending a lot of their time playing games. So uh, it didn't take long, maybe a year. Uh, in 2009, we see the release of the viral hit game uh, Angry Birds. And then a year later, uh, 2010, we see Plants vs. Zombies and Candy Crush in 2011. You know, these games are really different from the, the games that have been played in, uh, before. They don't have the the fancy storylines or the graphics, uh, and most of their interactions are extremely simplified compared to your typical console or PC game. I mean, console games have a more simplified interface already than PC games. Mobile devices took it to the next level. You didn't even need to uh, have a controller. You, you could just touch your screen and you could play. So... Have you ever played a mobile game? If you did, did you ever find it addictive? Yes? That leads to the question, why? Why are these games so addictive? Mobile games developer Robots and Pencils, uh, they did a presentation on the illusion of progress in mobile games that is still used today. 
when we feel like we are in the zone and the rest of the world disappears and we have entered what researchers call the flow state, uh, this careful balance between challenge and reward so that we don't get bored and we don't give up. So right in between there, they're in that flow state. Now, this flow state can be difficult to achieve in real life because progress, especially at the beginning, can be really, really slow. Uh, game designers found a way around this problem uh, by simply showing the illusion of progress, even though the challenge level remains exactly the same. So uh, let me give you an example. Like, so for example, uh, consider mobile games where uh, just a mobile game where you need to run a hair salon business. So in the first level, it needs to be really, really easy so that you won't give up. So many uh, developers, game developers call this the tutorial level uh, where there's very little that you can do to fail. So it, it's just really, really tough for you to fail. And then after you've completed the cut, right? So the, the first haircut in your salon, cha-ching! Congratulations, you've made 20 virtual bucks, <laughs> right? And so it's it's exciting, right? It's like, oh, I did something. Uh, all I did is maybe like tap the screen a few times, but I made 20 virtual bucks, this is exciting. Uh, and so how do I keep and maintain that level of excitement for the next cut? Because the next cut, if it's exactly the same, it's gonna be kind of boring. So the next level uh, is the exact same procedure. Um, and so you'd imagine, oh man, I, I'd get bored, right? Well, it turns out that's not the case. You don't get bored if you just increase the reward so that you feel like you're making progress. Again, this is the illusion of progress. So for example, customers come into the salon maybe quicker, so you make more. So you're doing the same process, maybe you're just doing it faster, so you're, you're seeing the money go up. So last time I made 20 virtual bucks, this time I'm making 35 virtual bucks. Or maybe every salon client pays you more. So, oh, we've got higher end clients now for our game. So instead of uh, 20 virtual bucks per client, everyone's paying us 25 virtual bucks. So I'm, I'm naturally making a lot more money. So this illusion of progress is very carefully engineered to keep you addicted to the game for as long as possible. As long as possible. The concept is that gaming time is going to be directly correlated to the number of in-app purchases for virtual items to speed up your progress or remove some of the tedium uh, in the games that you love. Right, so there are like games that you love, they, they really let you progress well, but then oh, they eventually get really boring. So you're gonna wanna pay money uh, in order to move on to the next step. And this model, um, this freemium model is very dominant in games. I, I read before that over 90, 94% of mobile games have some type of in-app purchase. They are for the most part freemium. Uh, so definitely, it, this is the business model. What's the consequence of this? You know, we, we've got, let's, let's take a break here. 
We've got illusion of, of progress, right? And so we, we figured it out, right? We figured what it, it takes in order to get people interested in it. So what happens? What happens to the gaming industry? What happens to people? What happens to this over time? It didn't take too long. Um, maybe 10 years later, so 2008 to 2018, just 10 years later, casual gaming on mobile devices dominates the market. Um, if we look at just one country, um, in this case, I'll look at China, but the United States stats aren't all that different. Uh, they spent $45.1 billion in 2018, um, seeing a 25.5% year-over-year industry growth. This industry is huge, huge, 25% growth every year. There are very few industries with that level of growth. There were 468 million online gamers in China. 468 million online gamers. That's like the population of the United States. Uh, or 57% of Chinese internet users in 2018 were playing online games. 57%. So if you were on the internet, it was very likely, very likely that you are playing online games. Interesting. Most of the revenue comes from uh, in-game purchases, like I had mentioned, also subscriptions, like sometimes you, you pay for a subscription for a game, and then of course, in-game advertising is another way. Uh, the industry itself uh, has over 40.5% profit. The profit margin, like imagine like for, like when you sell a product, right? Let's say it's like 10 bucks. $40 uh, $4 goes to that game developer, uh, even after all of their expenses, like, oh, I have to go and pay my developers, oh, I have to go pay for advertising, you name it, like, they, it is highly, highly, highly profitable. And three of the 10 most profitable Chinese companies are online game companies. <laughs> Games is actually the main industry uh, of over 7,000 companies in China employing about 311,000 people uh, with a payroll, a total payroll of around $6.2 billion. <laughs> so there are a lot, and I mean a lot of smart people who are working on this exact problem. Like, how do I get you to play this game longer? So what's going on here? Like, <laughs> like why, why do we have this big industry? Like, what is, what need are they really uh, fulfilling for us? Well, we all love to make constant progress. And sometimes in life, it seems like we're stuck. Like, do you ever feel that way? Like, oh, I'm, like I want to make progress in, maybe in work. Maybe I want to make progress in school. And I'm, I just don't feel like I'm, I'm really making progress right now. This is a hole that video games and social media uh, are all built around uh, like they're, they're designed to achieve this type of flow balance between challenge and reward um, in social media this could mean doing more promotion of your first post to your friends so that you are more likely to feel that positive uh, feeling about posting and you'll want to post more um, but here's the challenge is over time if you make enough progress, you'll need a higher level of challenge. And this is where competitive play and aggression come in. 
Now, it, like, it kind of feels like, oh, it's a bit much to say, like, aggression. Like, most casual games, um, you know, they have some sort of multiplayer uh, experience since, like, friends can add this unlimited dynamic uh, to the game. So, they, like, the developer can only create so many different, like, variations of the game, but it's really the people in the game that create a lot of the excitement. Um, now, you might not consider like say a game of charades using draw free uh, to be, oh, that's aggressive. Like these two are fighting each other. No, no, no. Or you might not think of like uh, Pokemon Go with a friend uh, to be aggressive. Um, but at the end of the day, we still have this desire to be the best in some area. And you see this in some of their higher levels. Um, it could be leaderboards that are in the game. Or it could be the presence of, like, in Pokemon Go, they have these gyms, and there's the dominant person in that gym. So there's many, like, places that you can go, and you can be the, the dominant fighter uh, in that area. And so there's always a, a challenge. There's always a level of aggression there. Uh, what can we do? What, what should we do if, you know, our children are spending an excessive amount of time playing games or or posting on social media. Um, I have three different ideas. Three different ideas. Uh, do you want to see three different ideas for for this? Spend the time. Spend the time to like my my approach has never been to just cut cut it all together. Um, I feel that it doesn't make sense. Like you you have to align with their interests. You have to be complementary rather than competing. It's easier to replace a habit than to, to stop one completely. The first is to spend time to understand why they like the game so much. It could be some aspect of it that is quite creative. Like there are some aspects to games, like they're playing the game. Yes, maybe it's just to level up or maybe it's because like, look at that connection that they have with people, right? Show an interest in that. That's the first step. Then you seem like their friend and then whatever you're suggesting is helping them towards their goal, right? If their goal is something within the game, then talk about how this will help them achieve their goal, right? And so you, again, complimentary, not competing. That's number one, spend time, understand. Number two, see how you can satisfy their need for this progress and ag aggression in a different way. So if they can't achieve, um, like what they're really saying is, I can't through the other things that I'm doing in my life, uh, achieve a sense of progress. I cannot achieve a, a sense of like, like winning against something um, outside of this video game. Well, okay, so is there something that I can do to make it feel like you are making progress? Like, do I need to put up a chart somewhere that says, okay, yeah, like, hey, look at this. You, you've made progress. I'm going to give you some bonus points for this. Uh, and then if you reach to this level with something else, it could be chores, it could be whatever you want, they're starting to feel like, oh, yeah, I feel like validated that way as well, like from people in my own family. Uh, especially now, the, the people in your own family will be able to give you a level of validation that you won't be able to find uh, in, in the video game in the virtual sense uh, just because of the, the level of presence that you have. And if you need to win at something, and they always do, great, let's create a competition. Who's going to be able to do this chore first? Who's going to be able to do this? We're going to have a small prize for the winner that these kinds of healthy competitions are normal. 
uh, but they, they have a need for them. And so if they're not getting it from the uh, the, the home or the, the environment that they're in, they're going to be getting it from somewhere else. And it could be on social media, not necessarily like if, if that's like, I don't have time for that. Like, I mean, that's one way, that's one outlet. Uh, but this is normal. Like this is, I want to say that don't feel bad at all. Like this is, this is not a, uh, a place to, for you to feel guilty. This is a, a place just to emphasize that we are all here working together. We're all giving advice and we've all been in the same situation. And so uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just an opportunity uh, and a tool for you. And then, so the second one was see how you can satisfy that need for progress and like being the champion some other way, right? So see if there's other ways that you can replace that um, that satisfaction, those those core unconscious desires with a different method. Then the third one is it kind of a little bit, it requires a little bit more creativity and it's not as easy to do, I know for a lot of parents, but I still think it's really important. Um, see how elements of the game relate to the work that they have to do in real life. So if you think about the game and you think about like the core fundamentals, a lot of what they're trying to do is simulate what being an adult is like. Now, obviously, some games aren't like that. Like some of them are, okay, just cut hair. Okay, so that's like an adult job or like cook food, you know, like that's that's like an adult job. So they're they're emulating what they see adults doing. Uh, in some cases, like, yes, there is aggression, like they're trying to fight and they're trying to beat. And that's more metaphorical. Like what they're trying to do is just basically as a team win against another team. And so seeing how those elements of the game directly relate to what they need to do in other tasks, be it work as a group, uh, accomplish some task, work really hard so that they can get the grade that they want. Those types of things, if you can relate them it'll be a lot easier. It'll be seen as complimentary. It'll be seen as a lot less uh, aggression. And, and this is the thing is we um, just like everybody has the, the fight or flight response saying, I'm cutting the Internet. That's going to be a shock. <laughs> They're going to want to say what? They're going to say, man, oh, like so aggressive. And yeah, right. Like it, to a certain extent, that is. That is our own type of aggression that is being exerted onto onto kids as well to say, I'm cutting, I'm taking your devices away. This is something that um, is, is another reason why it doesn't work. Like, can you see how like a screen time chart, like you got to do all these chores before you get any screen time? It, it doesn't work because it, it, it elevates screen time. It, it, it makes it this 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 prize above all others right so it's this most important thing um oh, all this like doing chores and and doing homework oh these are all things that are barriers in the way of me getting that screen time that i want interesting but you may not want to develop that kind of habit because what's gonna what may happen is that over time they're more likely to to hide it from you right so they're more likely to go mm, okay well screen time they don't like us doing it so i'm, I'm gonna be less likely to to do screen time when the parents are around and I'm more likely to hide what's happening there, which is going to lead into another set of issues that I, I want to avoid. Now, if you're already in this situation, there are still things that you can do. You can still show an interest. You can still, like you can create a safe environment, but what you're doing by saying like cutting screen time and stuff is not creating a safe environment. You're creating a like a, a, an, an environment of danger uh, by doing that. 
that's a lot. The next one is I'm going to be talking about the limitations of artificial intelligence and the people who fill in the gaps when it comes to content moderation. Uh, so let me show you what I mean. So when we talk about the limits um, of AI, like AI can defeat a grandmaster at chess. They can defeat a ninth dawn Go player and some of the top contestants at Jeopardy. So why is it, why does AI struggle when seeing if a video or post is appropriate for kids? Now, in order to understand this, you have to learn a little bit about AI. I will try to keep that to the absolute minimum uh, that you need to know. AI is a powerful tool for pattern matching, and many AI algorithms today are better than humans for tasks such as detecting tumors in an MRI scan, uh, recognizing handwriting, and um, sometimes even like generating these these um, automatically generated face masks uh, known as deep fakes uh, as well. Like it would be hard for a human to create something that is that realistic. The challenge is that AI can be easily fooled into thinking that two unrelated things are the similar. And so that's a false positive or that two related things are actually different, a false negative. Uh, and the reason for this is because we train AI with so many ideal examples that sometimes when a new scenario arrives, um, it's always considered within the context of what they have seen before. So it's kind of, it, it works in a very logical way. You, you build on what you know before. Gotzi calls it the zone of proximal development. Oh, question from Alice. Ed, with so many educational games being created, how can kids and parents differentiate ed games and gaming for fun? That is a very good question. My approach to it, and I'll, I'll cover this a little bit in the next section, is, and I'll give you a little bit of a preview, what are we doing with it? So when I say sedation, I say those the three different levels, sedation, relation, and creation. Am I using this to sedate a particular unconscious desire, my desire for progress? my desire for being the champion, right? So are, am I sedating that desire using some digital medium? And it, it's not necessarily that it's educational or not. Like even non-educational games like The Sims is used for educational purposes. Minecraft is also used for educational purposes. As a result, it's not so much the game per se, it's really how you use it. Now, is it also being used as a, uh, like a relation thing? So it's, I'm connecting with my friends to build a team in order to achieve some kind of goal. I'm going to see how I can apply that to other dimensions. That's great. Or is it used for creation? Like here, I'm going to work with other people. Uh, maybe I'm going to create something that has never been created before in Minecraft. This is another level. So really the way I would differentiate between the two wouldn't be ed games versus regular games. It would be really what are you using it for? Uh, are we using it for sedating? Are we using it for relating? And we're using it for creating. I hope that helps with your answer. Back to this whole notion of AI. I already mentioned how it's better than humans at, at some aspects. The challenge is because it can be easily fooled, um, we need to really dive a little bit deeper into, into why this is the case. And so now I mentioned that we train AI with a, I see, okay, you're welcome, Alice. Let me show you an example. What I'm going to show you, just to give you a heads up, 
is the Google TensorFlow example, the Google TensorFlow Neural Network AI example by Ellie Burbeck. Basically, a AI example for recognizing handwriting. The way that it works is we start with 60,000 samples of handwritten numbers from the MNIST database uh, from NYU and Microsoft. And let's consider like training for, for the time being to be a black box. So after some time, uh, the AI is trained and it's able to like you put in some new numbers um, into this, uh, like, like new numbers from the MNIST uh, number data set, so let's say 10,000 samples, and then it comes out, produces results that have roughly about a 90% accuracy. Now, this is great because you can imagine how tedious it would be to just do data entry for that many, <laughs> for that many, for that many items, right? Like, oh, 30,000, like that would, or 10,000, it would it'd take a long time because like that's essentially what it's saving. It's like we're no longer doing data entry for 10,000 numbers manually. Um, you might even be willing, if that's the case, to sacrifice some accuracy if it meant saving you time and then you just double check that everything's okay. That might be an even better method than trying to manually write everything accurately to begin with. Now, the question I have is with this example, we have just trained one thing, right? What have we trained? We've just trained numbers. Let's go back. So now the question is, okay, I've trained it to recognize these numbers with 90% accuracy. What's gonna happen if I now need to train it with like, I throw a letter at it. Let's say I throw the letter A at it. What is what is it gonna recognize? Any ideas? Like, what do you think it's gonna recognize? If you put the lowercase A, it would look fairly close to a zero. And so the AI, because it's never seen an, uh, a lowercase a, it's gonna have to go based on what it knows, right? So it's gonna have to ask, what is close to a lowercase a, right? Or let's say you have a lowercase p, right? Well, oh, geez, what, which one is close to p? Uh, I don't know, maybe nine, maybe six, maybe, I don't know, right? So it's gonna have to guess, it's gonna have to predict what it is close to. I've trained it to just recognize handwriting for numbers, but now I'm throwing something totally different at it. I'm throwing letters, lowercase letters at it. What is going to happen to this AI? This is an important exercise uh, because it shows you a lot of what happens with AI in the real world. <laughs> when I was doing my uh, PhD in computer science, we used something called a weighted average. Uh, for each of the hand gesture positions. So we did some stuff where there were like two side hands, like hands down, um, a fist on there, a single finger, two fingers, um, maybe even like drawing a box, you know, like all of these were different gestures that we would recognize. And what it would do is it would create in this multi-dimensional uh, plane a, a little dot. And that dot represented the weighted average of all the different features that we looked at. Um, and then the confidence of, of that was just measured by, I have a new sample, here's where it ends up. This is the distance to the closest dot. And that will give you roughly the, the confidence. I feel like, oh, this is how confident I am. If it's really close, it's like, I know this thing exactly, exactly what gesture this is. If it's a little bit far, it's like, uh, I'm not sure. 
so it's really like the confidence of the current input compared to the, the weighted average. Uh, if the distance was too high, we would just simply say, ah, not confident at all. Um, and rather than give them false input, like we wouldn't just say it's like some gesture. Um, so the core issue with this approach is that the computer is not thinking critically about what it sees. It just sees input and goes, yep, here on the data, right? Like, and this is how far. It's not thinking like, uh, that doesn't look right at all, right? It's not thinking, oh, kids shouldn't be seeing that. But that, like, computers don't think that way. This is, to me, where it gets really interesting. Because computers are not doing that detailed look at what, like, what is really being seen, you can see that this is where things like ElsaGate can come in. So the example with ElsaGate was, you know, people really love Elsa. Like they, they, they just want to watch a, a, a ton of Elsa videos. And so then you would see an Elsa video be tagged with Elsa, uh, but it would be highly inappropriate content like, you know, Elsa getting spanked on a bed or something. And so the AI doesn't know, right? It just knows that it's looking for something that's similar. What video is similar? These videos, they still have like some Elsa, maybe some of the colors are similar, or maybe some of the words are similar to what you would see in an Elsa video, but it's not thinking critically that, hmm, <laughs> no, this is not appropriate for children. We cannot show this. Uh, and so you'd have to look for other things. Maybe you'd look for adult voices, or maybe you'd look for, uh, you'd look for other things as well, like music and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know, right? Like we, we have to, so ultimately, we don't know what is in all of these algorithms, uh, but that gives you a sense of it, it sees something that's fairly similar, and then it, it picks that, right? It picks the thing that is closest to it. So when you're searching for, hey, I want to see videos about this, uh, this topic, it doesn't really think like, oh, I really want, like, this is a, a really good video. So how does it train and how does it evaluate that? Uh, again, like the mechanisms within most AI systems these days is watch time. Uh, YouTube has been very clear that they have been using watch time for like for some time already. So they're looking at how long you watch the video, uh, not necessarily what the content is. So if you're watching longer, it doesn't matter what what content it was. They're not thinking critically about that. There's no AI thinking critically about it. Um, it's just they are using that information to figure out if this is what if this content is engaging and so they're looking for watch time but they're also looking for like are you liking are you disliking are you you know typing something in are you typing in the comments and i had mentioned before that one of the things that this, this leads to and i was referring to it earlier is aggression right so more aggressive content more extreme versions of content those are the ones that tend to to bubble up more simply because they they do result in you watching longer they do result in more comments. They do result in, in more reactions. And as a result, the algorithm sees it and they're like, wow, this is a real moneymaker. <laughs> uh, look at look at the watch time on these. And that's one of the reasons why you, you get so much um, angry content on the Internet these days. The in Internet is full of anger uh, simply because anger anger is very positive from a watch time perspective. Uh, and if that's what you're trying to optimize for, then this is this is what you tend to get. That makes sense so far. <laughs> so a little bit about that is 
uh, I describe it as the limitations, some of the limitations of AI. Now, that said, when it comes to content like the uh, the content moderation, this is actually an interesting uh, aspect because they recognize that you know computers can't do all of this, so we've got to get some people in, right, to do to do content moderation. And this is where I find it really interesting. Um, in 2019, I had the unique honor to interview UCLA professor Sarah Roberts, and she uh, has her PhD in library sciences, uh, but she's also the author of Behind the Screen, Content Moderation uh, in the Shadows of Social Media. And I think a lot of you will... Mm, I don't know if you'll be surprised, but I think like it's it's quite interesting to see that a lot of the content moderation. So what happens is the the algorithms look for stuff, and and when they're not very certain, they send them over to armies of people, armies of people who are evaluating it. And I, I was just fascinated when I had the chance to do the interview with her. Uh, how much of that happens, and who who does it? Um, and there were two main sites that she had been studying. Uh, one was a, a site in Iowa and then another one in the Philippines. So the, uh, Iowa and the Philippines were, they had a huge number of people that were hired and, and that all their job was to like look at the content and basically flag, yeah, this is totally not appropriate. This is, this is appropriate. And so again, if AI was so good, then they wouldn't need these people to begin with. Right. Like we, we assume that, oh, like the AI must be well trained. It's just it can't be well trained. And here's the problem is like we can't get enough people to watch every video uh, to maybe get the level of moderation. So sometimes uh, these videos are moderated really just very sparingly unless there's a lot of complaints. So if people said like, whoa, this is totally inappropriate. Flag is inappropriate. Flag is inappropriate. Then that might be the best way to find out if. Uh, something is just simply not appropriate, which means that some people have to get exposed. Sorry, uh, there's nothing that they can do about it. Or is there? Um, you know, like some people think that watching AI is like a person watching every video and then making a determination that this is or is not appropriate for kids. That is not the case. <laughs> so uh, this is one of the the reasons why I feel like it's very important to understand AI, at least its current state. I know people like you watch movies and I don't know why, but AI always has this this human characteristic, of course. Right. Like we're, we're talking about they become sentient and they want certain things. They want a relationship with people. It's like, no, I, I don't see them that way. I see them as like the closest one that I see in terms of movies is the, the 2001 Space Odyssey. It's like. I was programmed to have this goal and I'm looking for all the ways to, to do it. And so if it means like, you know, accidentally or, or killing the, the, the person uh, so that I can achieve my goal, then no problem. Let's do that. Uh, and so I think that like that's the way I see um, AI, much less like something intelligent that, oh, it really wants to break free, those kind of things, um, at least how it's being used uh, currently. But that's not to say that there couldn't be like higher levels and you could do that but I'm, I'm just saying commercially uh, right now that's not where the investment is the investment like it doesn't make sense to to do all that like sentient AI like that's not a, a profitable thing at this point really the profitable thing is like just look at all these videos tell me what's inappropriate uh, maybe that's another reason why 
using AI to do the voice transcriptions automatically. Why do that? Because then you can look for bad language, you can look for inappropriate content to a different degree compared to uh, what you would be able to do if you're just doing the straight audio and just doing the straight video. So what I'm trying to say here is that AI itself today has a lot of limitations and we depend on people. And these people, uh, when they're looking at it, like the rate at that which they have to look at stuff and make a determination is insane. Uh, we're talking like every minute you've got to do like 10, 20 of these. So it's, it's just like instant, dun, 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 not appropriate. Yes, appropriate. Like, I don't even know if they like, have enough time to actually watch the video. Uh, and certainly in terms of like training and stuff like that, that's not really their, their keen interest. Like stuff still falls through the cracks uh, that way. But I mean, it is a strong. So these people are there more for liability purposes, more for showing assurances that we do have an army of people um, than they are for actual moderation. Uh, that's not really the goal. It's to like there's a difference between actual moderation and the illusion of moderation. So we're focused on illusion of um, uh, moderation, just like we're focused on illusion of progress today. So you're learning about all the the hidden illusions that are happening today on the internet. <laughs> cool. All right, so let's uh, dive in because there's one last point. I want to quickly get to it. The last point that I want to explore, moving from screen time to quality time, or what does like quality screen time mean? And why do some of the existing mechanisms that are used not work? for managing screen time, um, like the quality of screen time. Really, when it comes to screen time, I mentioned at the beginning, lots of Google searches specifically about screen time these days, especially in this month. So January, February is one of the, the toughest because they're just coming back from holidays. They, they are super all over the place. Uh, I know, at least for my kids, like that, it was, it was not an easy month, right? Like lots of distractions. They're like, why do I have to do this after you know, I've pretty much been able to watch whatever I want, play whatever I want for several weeks. Uh, this is this is a really tough time getting back into the routine. Um, and so really, when it comes to the different approaches, parents are looking for different solutions. And one of them is uh, the screen time charts. And so the, the concept with the screen time charts, as I mentioned at the beginning, is kind of the, the three H's. Have you done your housework? Have you done your homework? Have you done uh, the hygiene stuff that we require you to do? And then after you've done all those, uh, the H's, then you may have some screen time. Now, one of the, the things that concerns me about screen time, like just, just imagine, right? Like just imagine you, that your, your child is a, a picky eater and that you need them to eat all of their supper in order to have the privilege of dessert. You know, doesn't this position the status of dessert as the thing that kids desire the most? And then the rest of supper are, are all these like tasks uh, that are holding them back from getting more dessert, right? Like it, it just puts dessert as this like, oh, it's the best thing ever. It's It's the thing that your, your parents kept denying you. And therefore, like when you get older, all you care about is dessert. You, you don't even care about the regular meal. Now, most screen time charts 
present lists of tasks that must be completed in order to earn screen time. Now, the question I have is, well, what happens when we aren't around to enforce it? Right? So this is this was a surprise for me, right? Like realizing that, oh, no, the kids have all figured out all the passwords, all the screen time passwords. And so they're waking up at six, seven in the morning and they're watching, was it three, four hours? Like I was I was in shock when I came down at eight o'clock in the morning to find out that my son had watched three hours already, like the screen time limit had already been hit. He had already watched three hours of, of videos. <laughs> I don't know, has anyone, has, have you seen that as well? Yes? Like, they, what what they do is what? They, they hide the behavior. They hide the behavior. So wouldn't that motivate your kids to hide their use of screens from you in the future? So they're just going to become more sophisticated over time to go, well, really, you're the barrier uh, between me and what I really want, because you've positioned it as what I really want. Uh, that is screen time. Uh, so they're just going to be more likely to hide their screen time from you. Um, and this is where I go to the core. The, we need to be intentional. We need to be intentional about what we would like to see long term from our children with screen time. Uh, many screen time charts will make parents feel better uh, in the short term. Uh, I mean, since they're doing the three H's, the, the homework, the housework, and the um, the hygiene work that they need to do. And, you know, maybe they're, they're doing some like engaging in play or whatever that like kind of makes you feel good. <laughs> However, long term, um, they are positioning screen time as a desirable thing that uh, parents are withholding from their kid. Uh, I, we, it's funny. We just watched the the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. The one you know, the one with Johnny Depp. <laughs> oh, uh, Doctor Harves says uh, it's also an interesting conversation with regard to online learning. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Like having my son who is in online learning right now, this is the biggest challenge is many parents. Um, and I've read this. Many parents have already given up on screen time. They just said, like, just watch whatever you want. I've just opened up the floodgates because I need you to be able to log in by yourself. So if I have to give you the password, I cannot just go and lock down the, the, the screens right now. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to go to school. So this is, this is a challenge, but. Keep in mind, like, even if that's the case, you can have different categories, at least, yeah, on, on devices like iPads, you can have different categories of screen time and you can set different time limits for the different categories, which is slightly better. It gives you a little bit more control, uh, but that's not always the case depending on the, the type of device. Yeah, so that they can stay on task uh, or they can get distracted. Yeah. And, and this is what I say as well. Like many schools had already advocated for Banning all devices, no no screens at all in in school, and I ask the question, okay, so what that means is for the most part they're not gonna like you they don't want you see they, they don't want to be seen with school uh, with devices they want to hide that right from you, 
right? They want to hide their their use of screens from you. Not that they're they're not using them. Like they're just hiding their their use from you. And as a result, like yeah, like what if we're talking about distraction? How are they gonna know in the future? Oh, that's exciting. I'm grateful I'm not raising children with smartphones and laptops if VR isn't reality. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's definitely a huge difference between VR and reality. Things are lost with technology. Nuisances and subtleties. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we are, we're in a whole new world. It's actually one of the reasons why we, we've got this very, this channel is focused on how can we better support parents in this new world of AI. And it's thinking that, man, even if you, your parents, like if, even if you followed the exact way that your parents did and it was, it was ideal, all of that would be out the window right now. You, you still have to learn. You still have to grow in this area just because so many things are changing. And so this is why I think no matter what, like it's not just like the reality is this is not just kids. Like, I, I can appreciate like it's not just raising children, but I mean, even even ourselves, right? Like we're affected by these in the same way. Um, it, it benefits us as well. So if we we get control over it, yes, we can help other people, um, and maybe other people have kids that we can help. But also it, it helps ourselves as well to be aware of of screens and what they what they are doing to us. And it's a, it's an area that I'm I'm really passionate about because I I experience it myself and I feel. Yeah, I watched a lot of TV, a lot of TV, a lot of screen time when I was a kid, but it's different. The screen time is not the same, and it, it really boils down to what am I doing with it? When I watched TV as a kid, I used it as a tool to be creative. I used it so that I can go and play, and I can pretend to be the characters. I like There was a lot of other things that I did with it. But now it's just like, well, because like you only had one episode. Right. Like maybe a week or like and, and then it would stop and then there would be like a lot of boring stuff on TV. And then I had to go and play because it was like so terrible, the content. Now it's not like that. There's great content all the time. I don't need to take a break ever. <laughs> Can we actually blame students in being distracted? No, 100 percent. No, this is not. The, what is the primary use of uh, com computers? It's consuming. Interesting. Yeah, I would say. um I don't know if it was designed that way, but certainly consumption is the the most common use of computers. Give a man a hammer, everything's a nail. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Yes, <laughs> he agrees as well. So again, this is not about pushing blame, right? This happens all the time. This happens all the time and this is normal. This is the new normal that we live in. And it, for I don't blame students for being distracted. Uh, we are in a distracted world, a very distracted world, and it is very difficult to focus. And so we are getting together as parents, uh, as teachers, as educators. We're trying to think of what are things that we can do in this world, and we're coming up with different strategies. So now when I talked about the long term, because kids are trying to fill some type of void with screen time, uh, they're either getting it from the, the little energy that we have left as parents, uh, which isn't a lot, uh, or they try to find it online. And so getting distracted isn't just um, it isn't just because they're getting distracted. It's like a call for help for them. Like it, it's kind of like I, I really need these needs to be filled, but they're not being filled um, right now. So I am going to the screen because it's helping me with that. Uh, but of course, 
here's the problem, the passive use, the consumption that uh, Dr. Harves was talking about, it doesn't fill this, this emptiness of the isolation uh, that people feel. It only masks it for a short time. But the reality is like I can, you can mask all, all day long, all night long as well. Like we have enough content that we can easily fill that void. Uh, but really the only long-term cure is through connection. And so how do we establish this connection? And, and this is where I want to go back to those three points. Those three points are really important. One, spend that time, understand why do they like this game? What are, what, what are they getting fulfilled from this game or from the TV show or from social media? What, what need is it, is it fulfilling? The, the second is how can it satisfy their need for the, whatever it is? It could be like they need to show progress in some area. They need to feel like a champion somewhere. Is there a way that you can fill that need in a different way? Be creative, right? Like it can be related or it could be um, something that you do to help them achieve their goals. Uh, I've seen some parents that they, they do the opposite. Instead of going, hey, I don't want you to to be involved, it's like, well, you really like making YouTube videos, so I'm going to take you to the next Educon uh, or Vig um, VidCon conference, which is like a big conference for people. Or I will go with you to some gaming conference uh, that you really want to go to. Maybe it's virtual these days. Maybe we can go and check it out. Or maybe we'll go a little bit deeper into the movies that you really like or the TV shows that you really like so we can understand them in more detail. Uh, my kids, uh, you see the picture over here. They, they love Star Wars. And so when we're watching Star Wars, we're also watching the new rock stars, um, the, the reviews, the breakdowns of the movie, because it gives this extra level of depth. It becomes this thing that uh, I can talk to with my sons. They uh, like are interested in the topic. So it's not hard. It's not hard to get them uh, thinking a little bit more critically. And so that relationship is something that I'm going to dive into way more detail in, in the next time that we do a live together. Um, and then once you've done that, so that was the second one. So first one was, you know, understand why, why, what, what are they trying to get out of the game? Second is, is there any way that they can satisfy that need in a different way? And then the third is what elements of the game or the movie or the social media relate to the work that they need to do in real life? Now, this is not easy, uh, but because it, like, what it means is like, let's pretend my kid is really into Jake Paul, right? He's like, oh, he just is obsessed with Jake Paul. And like, I, he annoys me to no end and I cannot stand him as a parent. What do I do? What do I do? Right? It's like, you grin and bear it, right? Like you may not be into My Little Pony, uh, but if your daughter is really into My Little Pony, would you not? Grin and bear it and be like, okay, well, I'll go and learn the characters. Yeah. And I'll, I'll go and brush the hair. Right. It's not things that I want to do. Um, and it's not things that I'm doing for myself. It's things that I'm doing for my child. Uh, and so I, I feel kind of the same way because taking a vested interest will also help you do some critical thinking because what's going to happen over time is maybe this individual, the influencer does something really, really dumb. Right. And then that gives you a chance to, to talk critically about it. That gives you a chance to relate, to go, yeah, you may want to be like this person, but you see what happened and you see like the consequences 
that happened in their lives, like you wouldn't want the same consequences to happen to you, would you? And and that becomes an opportunity for that discussion. So I know we don't like it, <laughs> uh, but I think it's important. I think it's valuable to do, um, even for a short period of time. Does that kind of make sense? Thank you for your input, by the way. I do appreciate it. It's good to have uh, that discussion, you know, make sure that we're all getting engaged, asking questions. And of course, if you have any questions, uh, I'm I'm here to answer them, right? Like this is this is what makes it. This is why we have live. Otherwise, I would just, you know, just record a video and then present it. It's your questions that really make sure that am I grounded? Am I talking about reality here? Like maybe I'm way off that base. Maybe I'm not qualified, you know, like, do I need more justification? There was a good, some good feedback. And so I appreciate any feedback that you guys provide. Now, I'm going to wrap it up here uh, and let you know a little bit about some next potential steps. So what we've done, what I've done is I've updated the AI parenting uh email list and it's just um it's free you can go like aiparenting.live and you can sign up for this email list it's called the ai parenting insider and my goal with it is to give you the tips the tools the tricks all of that uh, free of charge so that you can transform screen time in your families from sedation to relation to creation and one of those uh, new resources, whoops, other way, <laughs> is this. So this is the the quality screen time chart. So it's a little bit different. So I've looked at a couple of the other charts. There's a couple on Etsy. I think they're $15 US. And they cover screen time as like do all these things. And then, then you earn screen time, right? So you, here's a checklist of things that I require you to do. And then you earn your screen time. They even have like tickets that they print out. I think that's a cute idea, uh, but I would recommend instead categorize it. So you've got how much of that time is in sedation, how much of it is in relation, how much of it is in creation. And you can even use tally marks. So what we use at home, and again, this is, I would not recommend anything that I didn't use myself in practice. Uh, and it's something that I take very seriously because I, I don't care just about how much screen time, how many hours you spent in front of screens. I care about, well, what did you do during those hours? And I don't know why, but from what I can see, there isn't a lot of emphasis on this on the internet. Most of what's available is just, all right, <laughs> everybody's in the same boat. No, it's like, we, we're not just trying to get you to do a bunch of house, like the three H's, the housework, the homework and the hygiene uh, prior to prior to having screen time. No, we want you to have screen time. We just want to know what type of is it. And then we want to reduce the amount of sedation. We want to focus a little bit more on relation, which is the next step. And then we want to grow in terms of creation. Uh, he says, this is what parenting is now. Thank God I'm not raising kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is it. This is it. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, charts, charts is not necessarily new. Charts have been around uh, for a while. My goal is like, if you, you sign up for the list, uh, like we'll, we'll make the charts available uh, for free. You can, you can get access to it. I think normally I charge, uh, I have a store set up. Yeah, I charge $10 for, uh, for this uh, chart, but 
you know, I want as many parents as possible to be able to access it. That's one of the reasons why I make it available for uh, if you sign up for the email list. And then the only things that we talk about is like the podcast that might help you. We tell you a little bit about the videos that we released that, that week and here are the main like blog posts and tips. And so any like upcoming live streams, that's our main goal. It's not to say that we things have to be a particular way, but really just to provide any supports that we can uh, that can be helpful for the long term. And one of the reasons why I'm coming from this approach is I see things differently because of AI and, and what's happening and my, my experience, my, my background, the PhD in computer science. And I wanted to make sure that, yeah, like we have tools that kind of fit with what the algorithms are trying to do. And we are compensating for the, the, the pieces that it's not going to be able to provide for us. And we're still building that connection because at the end of the day, while so many things have changed, so many things still remain the same. Uh, and with that said, we are we are here for you. If you have other questions, if you have anything that we can do to better support you, that is what we are here for. We we want to see you succeed. We want to see growth in this area uh, from from everyone here, everyone who who participates. We want to see a transformation. Maybe it's not of your kid's screen time. It could be of your screen time. It could be of uh, a family member's screen time. But really, it's about taking that control, giving everybody the opportunity to to know what works best. Uh, and so with that, I want to thank you for your time. We have gone pretty uh, pretty decent time this time. And... I want to really thank you so much for sticking around for this time and say that if you guys have other topics that would be of interest to you, any suggestions or anything, feel free to reach out to us. AIparenting.live. You can search it on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram. Just message us, right? We'd love to hear from you. Uh, this is a service. This is for you guys. This is for you guys. We want to make sure that it's delivering value for you. I'm in the process of writing a book right now on AI parenting, parenting in this world of artificial intelligence. Uh, but it's not going to be any use if I don't have a lot of your ideas and your feedback of what you found valuable. Did you find today's session valuable? If so, uh, let us know. Put it in the chat. Uh, put it in the discussion. We would love to have your perspectives. Thank you. Have a great day. Have a great week. We will see you again next week at the same time. Thank you. Bye-bye.